when you have something to sing about, you can sing, right? Man. And uh, the biggest crowd. Uh, you know, we've seen God do amazing things in amazing ways. And, and, uh, and, and even this week, just seeing how the Lord changed a man's life. I'll tell you what, uh, it, is, it's, it is something to be praised for. Right? When, when you see what God can do. He conquered sin, he conquered the grave. So we have hope. Even death doesn't have sting for us, right? And, uh, yeah, in fact, I'm tempted to reach out 1 Corinthians 15 just because of that song. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's really what the gospel is all about. That Jesus Christ overcame for us, right? In fact, the reason that this is such good news is because we understand the bad news. In fact, as we've been looking at, at the book of Romans, what was the very first thing we had to, to study in the book of Romans? It's the doctrine of sin. We had to understand who we were, why it was just for God to punish us for our sins, and, and, and why we needed a Savior to begin with. And then Paul doesn't make his way to the end of Romans to understand the next part, but he, he goes right from there into the doctrine of salvation. How Jesus Christ overcame for us. This is what gives us power for everything that follows that. Amen? And so we have the power to, uh, to grow in our relationship with Christ. We call this process sanctification, where we become more and more like Christ. And we can do that with total security, knowing that we're sons and daughters of God. We will never lose that salvation that He gave us. And we talked uh, after that about selection, the idea that God draws us to Him. And using multiple things, He draws us to Himself. And at the same time, we have to respond in faith. And once we're saved, we're saved to a life of service. There's one word that I would use to describe the last section in the book of Romans. It would be love, right? It would be love. And we've been talking about love for, for several weeks here. We've talked about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices and using our spiritual gifts to show our love to other people. What love looks like inside the church, outside of the church. And how love is the fulfillment of all the law. How all the law can be summed up in love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, and so the, the whole preface to, to chapter 14 is about love. Love one another, right? Today we're going to, to jump into a passage where Paul shows us what love really should look like. And this is a magnifying glass view of what love looks like in a church context, even when we disagree. Have you ever disagreed with someone that was a Christian? I, I hear only low rumblings. I mean, yes? But I'm not going to admit it out loud, right? Because the person you disagree with might be sitting close by, right? <laughs> so, but you know, love, love is something that overcomes even the, the, the simplest of disagreements that we may have, right? And, you know, people are very passionate by nature. We're, we're passionate people. And, and oftentimes, I wouldn't use the word passionate. I would even say maybe opinionated. There's a more low mumble. People are doing this to me like, <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, people are very opinionated by nature. Uh, and if you're passionate about something, uh, you can be passionate about whatever it is. You can be passionate about football, right? And if you are, are very passionate, then you'll be very um, opinionated, right? Right. <laughs> so, this is never more true than in Michigan, right? Now, I know someone is expecting, I some of you expect me to say some things against Michigan State, right? I have a short string today. I have a short string today. 
But you know what? It is it true, though, that we are passionate about some of the, sometimes the silliest things, right? And, and, and you look at the fans, and they're crazy, right? I mean, this is a game to see who can get, you know, a big skin from one side of the field to the other, you know, without the other team stopping them, which is cool. It's fun. It's entertaining. But uh, maybe not that entertaining. But I think the fans are more entertaining sometimes than Game, right? You say, oh, that's just one, you know, crazy thing. Well, it's the same on both sides. <laughs> right? Both sides. They're crazy, and, and we get passionate about all of these things. Um, and, and, it's, and we're opinionated by nature. It's just part of who we are. But did you know that church history is riddled with issues where you have people who, who call themselves Christians but fall down on two different sides of the opposite eyes and they are just as passionate they're just as opinionated about those issues. Isn't that true? And we've seen that all through history. Some of these may be legitimate things to, to separate over. Other things might not be separated. But I was just trying to think through some of the issues in ministry that I had to deal with in, in my lifetime, um, as short as it's been, very short as it's been. But talking through that, I'm thinking through some of the different issues that church history has been with. Uh, think of drinking alcohol, right? Um, playing cards, heard that before. Drums in music in the, in the church service. Uh, just, I'm not saying all these here. I'm saying these are things that in ministry, I, in my life, we've been wearing pants, believe it or not. I've been in the deep meeting where that was the topic and, uh, uh, in, in church. Uh, tobacco, use of tobacco. Uh, dancing, right? Uh, uh, six day creation. Are there Christians, people who call themselves Christians, on both sides of that issue? Yes, there are. And, uh, and it seems like one by one, many of the, uh, the, the Christian universities are, are moving away from that. Uh, how about hymns versus choruses? Uh, how about working on Sundays? Or uh, trick-or-treating? That's been a big one in some cases. Uh, the bottom resurrection was one of the first issues. I remember I did say some of these issues are worth separating over, okay? Uh, so I'm just saying, these are issues that people have called themselves Christians and, and separated themselves over. King James Version would be another one. A lot of, a lot of divisions sometimes we cross with female pastors. It's a big one down in Latin America that we, we notice a lot in here too. Um, Sunday dress. Uh, how, how do you dress on Sunday? Uh, do, you, do you dress up? Do you, do you not dress up? But uh, one of the biggest ones in our culture right now is where do you stand on homosexuality? But when, you, when you take a lot of these things and put them together, have you ever felt like this kind of thing? How do, you, how do you sort through all these issues and, and, and figure out which issues should we, should we draw a line in the sand and say you can't cross this line? Which issues should we say, oh, let's just not worry about it? Where do you, have you ever wondered about any of those questions? Is there at least one issue on that list that you thought, I don't know? Or just felt frustrated because people separated over it? Have you ever felt that way? Uh, and so, uh, you know, some of these are divisive issues, others are not. But how do we tell the difference between them? And what does love look like when we do disagree on some of these things? You know, Paul answers these questions and more in Romans chapter 14. And so, uh, so come with me. Uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 8 today. I'll start just verse 1 here, uh, and we'll read, uh, read it together. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. What a verse. Um, this becomes the key verse for the rest of Romans 14. 
that everything else that's said in Romans 14 is unpacking this statement. What does it mean to receive someone who's weak? What does it mean to dispute? What does it mean to, to be doubtful things? All of these, everything else in the rest of this chapter is coming out of this verse. By the way, I'll just throw, throw it out there. This, this is one of those key verses where people have misquoted some of the things in Romans 14 after verse 1 out of context. And made it say things that, that, that it shouldn't say. And so Romans, but we have to keep it in the context here. And that is the context of, of, of uh, the weak versus the strong regarding what we call doubtful things or d- disputable issues. Um, the word doubtful is sometimes, in fact, some of the translations that you probably have in here, some of you might have translations that say disputable matters. Right? Some, say, some say debateful issues. Uh, depending on your translation, the idea of, uh, of doubtful is meaning that there's some things where you look at it and you're not sure. It's not clear. It's not black and white. In fact, what Paul is, is addressing here is this concept of, of morality that really uh, uh, a person will, will accept, or they live their life normal without, without accepting Jesus Christ as a Savior. By the way, does anyone, get, does anyone born saved? No. So we tend to just live our life, and there comes a moment in our life where we, we recognize who Jesus Christ is, we recognize what he did for us, and we accept the truth of that, and then we begin to grow in our faith with God, right? Yeah. Now, this isn't a very accurate diagram, because in reality, it doesn't look like this, right? It's more like this. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah there are highs, there are lows, we, 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 we do that. But if you were to step back and look at, at, the, at a person's lifestyle, we do change and we become more like Christ from the time that we accept Christ to, to the time that we pass away and we are in his presence, right? If, if not, something's wrong. You need to re-examine what happened when you accepted Christ. Isn't that safe to say? Why? Because he began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. So if, he's, if, he, if he genuinely saved you, then he's going to start working on you. Amen? At his pace, oftentimes not at the pace of all of us who are watching, right? But God will work in your heart and he'll change you. Some people have been on this journey for a long time. They've been doing this for years. Been saved for a long time. Some of you, is, is there anyone in here that's been saved for at least 40 years? Look, look around you. There's a lot of spiritual experience in here. Anyone in here been saved for less than a year? Let a man to the Lord this, uh, this, this week. He's got a week in salvation. Some people who accepted Jesus Christ, they're just starting the journey out, right? And man, 40 years old and accepts Jesus Christ, some of you have been saved for 40 years. So we have a wide gap between the, the spiritual maturity of, of those who have been saved for a long time and those who have just accepted Christ, right? But God has called us in the church to live together. And he's telling the, the, the strong to receive the weak. We, we have to somehow find a way to live together in community. And this is by design. And, but it doesn't always seem fair. Does it? Sometimes it seems a little bit like this. Right? You got the strong, and then you got the weak. And then you got the strong, and then it's, it's competition. We live in church. Instead of community, we live in competition. And, and, uh, and so we're fighting against it, and that just doesn't seem fair. Have you ever been in an argument with someone who might be wrong, but they're just better at arguing than you? Right? That, that's what a lot of people feel like. They come into salvation, they come into the church, and, and, and we've got these issues going on. And Paul is commanding us. He is saying, 
And he's saying, I want you to, I want the strong to, to receive the weak and bring them in. You know, the number two reason why people don't go and get a gym membership is they're afraid that they won't be accepted. They're afraid that those who are strong will look down on them like, well, you, you don't even deserve to be here, right? The number one reason is because you have to lift weights and do exercise in the park. But the number two reason is because we're afraid of that. And I think people are, feel the same way about church. A lot of people, they don't want to come to church. Why? Because people have been saved for years. I'm a weak person. I come into the church and I don't know if I'm going to be received. But Paul is telling us we need to receive those who are weak. The strong must receive the weak. So, you know, we, we look at, the, at this concept of the strong receiving the weak, and, and it just makes sense when you really think about that. But oftentimes we forget to do that. And we, we're not patient with those who are coming I think as parents, you know, when, when, we want, when we think of what we want our children to become someday, when they're finally out of the house, right? We, we don't use that as a standard for our children when we first get them, right? They do a lot of things that we don't like. You know, especially in the first six months, eight months, right? They do a lot of ugly things, right? But we accept them where they are. We receive them where they're at. But be careful not to think that receive means total blind acceptance. We receive them where they're at. We have goals to build them up and help them become something that they're not. So he's, when, when, when Paul says receive the weak, he's not saying let the weak stay there. He's saying accept them where they are and start helping them grow. Amen? Amen. Receive the weak. So... You know, well, we receive one who is weak in the, in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. This idea of doubtful or disputable issues, as some of the translations say, it gives us the idea that there's a spectrum here. Uh, there are things in Scripture that are clearly wrong, right? There, there are things, uh, we could say, obviously, uh, to murder somebody is wrong. Commit adultery is wrong. Uh, there are things that the Bible makes, make, there's, there's no question whether something is right or wrong. There are also things that are clearly right. Right? Giving to the poor. Right? Uh, speaking the truth. Being kind to someone. There are things that are clearly right. Paul is saying that you must receive the weak where? In this middle section. This disputable issues. What does that mean? Issues where there's some question. You know, where, but maybe this isn't right. Maybe this isn't right. And, and there's, there's a group here in Paul saying, receive the weak, but not to disputable issues. What, what he's saying, he's talking about this area right here. That's what Paul's talking about. Uh, he's saying, you've got to, uh, to, to work with it, but don't start there. And so if a person accepts Jesus Christ, they carry all of the spiritual baggage from, from years and years of, of living after themselves. And they come in. Oftentimes, we have a list, and we have an order of the list that we say, you've got to get, you know, not you're saved, you've got to do this first, that for second, this third, this fourth. And a lot of times, where do you start with these disputable issues? When God might be working with something else, maybe in the, that's, something that's clearly wrong that they need to avoid, or something that's clearly right that they need to begin. Does that make sense? And so Paul said, but don't, don't start here. Right? He said, start with the other thing. Receive them. Work with them on those things. 
And, and, and start with things that are clear to us. Start with things that are clear to us. Get that going. When you think about some of those issues that we've talked about, a lot of these, that already starts to clear up in a lot of the mess because a lot of these are not in the disputable issues, right? The Bible comes down very clearly on some of these issues. And so as you look at some of these issues, I'll just uh, name a couple of them, you, you start taking and eliminating those things because those are things that the Bible tells us where to draw lines, so we draw lines. Does that make sense? Take literal interpretation of Scripture, for example. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he, he, he said, these are the things that are first importance. First, that Jesus Christ died and then he was buried and rose again. The gospel. First importance. And then he goes on to say, but you have to believe that that happened according to the scriptures. You can't just believe that Jesus' teachings rose and the followers. No, you have to believe that Jesus wrote as the scriptures said. Literal interpretation of scriptures is one of those things that Paul says. If you don't believe in this, your faith is in vain. Right? So, yeah, there, there are issues that are black and white. Yeah, I'm talking about some of these disputable issues. And if you're still struggling to understand what, what issues are disputable, what issues are not, Paul gives us some really clear examples in the next few verses and, uh, that will help us. Look at the, the, the first one. It has to do with, uh, uh, with, with food. And uh, did I go too far here? Let me go back to the hair. There it is. Okay, that's, what, that's the slide. Let's, let's read verse 2. Romans 14, 2. For one believes he may eat all things. Amen. <laughs> I love you, Eric. Gentiles 
It, they, they don't have to become Jewish to get saved. They don't have to follow. God has made them clean too through the power of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful too. Because it's salvation, not just because I'm baking. <laughs> I love my salvation more, right? And so, uh, so now imagine, though you, you, you're saved out of this Jewish background, and all of a sudden someone's giving, offering you a pork chop, and you say, every time I've eaten this, that's been sin for me. And I, I struggle, I struggle with that. Can you, can you, can you empathize with that person? You also have people who are saved out of a petty background, right? And so what they did, I mean, the Roman gods, it was the big, the big deal. So they had all had multiple gods. It was a polytheistic, pagan society. And you had people out of that society that accepted Christ as well. And out of this pagan society, you had people who would offer their food to their false gods at the temple. And they would offer some of the food. And they would give that food to the temple. And then the temples were, would use that food. And they would prepare it and sell it. Sell it already cooked, sell it prepared in uh, what we would compare to restaurants, right? But that's how their temples sustained themselves financially, was through, through the food that was given to them through the sacrifices. Then you could go back and buy that food, that's how, that's how it worked. And, uh, and so the word temple and word restaurant were almost synonymous, just different days of the week. Does that make sense? So you have a person then who is saved out of that background. And then someone invites them to go to, to them. Well, it's just it's a restaurant, you know. But you know that food has been sacrificed to what God used to serve. And so you look at that food and you struggle with that. Can you empathize with that person? And so, so here you can say, for one believes he, he may eat all things, and, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So, so you've got weak and strong as related to what we, we read in verse 1. You've got the, the weak on one side, you've got the strong on the other side, and when it comes to all the different things that you can eat, there are some who said who were able to say, well, we can eat any of it. And it's not going to hurt our relationship with God at all. I can eat pork and love God. And then you've got the weak, well, they're left with what's left over in it. And, and, uh, and so this is an example of some debatable issues, some doubtful issues. Got saved, but it just it just didn't seem didn't seem right. So, uh, with that in mind, we look at the we look at the uh, the application. Let's look at verse three. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received. Notice here, there's, there's a command for both sides of the issue here, and an explanation. So let's look at those first. First, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. What does that mean? The person who, who has more freedom, right? The person who, who feels like they can, they're, they're the least strict out of the two. There's a tendency for what? Let him who eats, what does it say? Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. So there's a tendency for the person who is strong to despise the person who is weak. The person who has already been through all that. The person, the weightlifter, who has been weightlifting for years, who makes fun of the new guy that comes in, who wants to start a lifestyle that's healthy. Right? And there's a sense of, uh, well, you have done, you have gone through all that. You, you know, I, you know, 
Hans or Franz. The gorilla, right? But we do that spiritually sometimes. There's, there's, a, there's a sense in which it's very easy for the strong to despise the weak and, and, and say something along the lines, stop limiting me. Stop telling me that I can't do this because I, I have a great relationship with God and I participate in these things and, and certain things. Now, again, we're not talking about black and white issues, right? We're talking about the, the disputable things. And, and, and so stop limiting me. Have you ever felt like just saying that to somebody? Then we look at the second part of the verse. Let not him, or let not him eat despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. So we look back at this and there's a tendency we see that, that the weak person, what's the tendency for the weaker person? The weaker person has a tendency to judge the other person. Uh, they, they've got their own rules, they've got their, their own things. Why? Because they're newer in the faith, they're younger in the faith, they haven't grown as far in the faith. And, and so sometimes in our, in, our, in our spiritual journey of maturity, we have sometimes need extra rules, right, to, uh, to work through things. And we, we, we might have all these things that are good and healthy for us, but when someone else has more freedom than us, what's the tendency that we have by nature? It's to judge that person. This is the tendency that we have. In fact, we oftentimes might catch ourselves saying something along the lines of, if I can't meet or shoot you, right? But is it true? Are we all on the same place in the journey? We're not. You know, there, you might have one child that struggles to get up early in the morning, right? And you might have another child that gets up too early in the morning, right? And so with the child who struggles to get up early in the morning, you might put a rule that says you need to be in bed by a certain time. And then what happens when that child goes to bed and sees that the other child is still awake? What do they tend to do? Hey, you should be awake. If I have to go to bed, you should have to as well, right? Why? Because we, 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 we want things to be completely even when even is in our favor. We want things to be inclined in our direction, we're not, right? It's the human nature. If I can't neither should you. But we're not in the same place. And, and so sometimes there might be a rule that says you need to be in bed by 9 o'clock. Why? Because it's better for you where you're at in your spiritual journey. Does that mean that later on with, with maturation and time, that, that person, you can move their bedtime to 10 o'clock? Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is spiritual maturity. And so, so yeah, you know what? There, there are, are, are things in our, in our lives, different places, uh, where, where we just have to understand where a person's at and receive them where they're at. On both sides of this issue. There was a book that we had to read when we were studying to become uh, missionaries. It was called Lambs Dancing with Wolves. And... Uh, and in that book, they tell a story of a, of a missionary who went to, a, to this country as a missionary, and he, he had to sacrifice a lot of things. And the man was like me. He loved peanut butter. Right? My parents used to call me the peanut butter kid. And he loved peanut butter. But in this country, you got to realize they don't even have peanut butter. And so in his mind, he just said, you know, I'm going to make this sacrifice. This is a symbol of my sacrifice to remind him I'm not here for peanut butter. Right? And then you have years go by, and all of a sudden, this peanut butter does arrive to this country. 
But just as a way of, of his relationship with God, he chose not to continue his relationship with Frank Blair. <laughs> Why? Because in his mind, it was a symbol of his sacrifice to God. Is there a problem with that? No. The problem came when the new missionary comes, the young guy comes to the field. And he likes peanut butter, too. And there's peanut butter in the country. And he eats peanut butter. And he had the veteran missionary judging him. Saying, how dare you? It's a, this is a symbol of your sacrifice to God. Doesn't it sound a little silly? Yeah. But it's human nature. If I can't, if I'm making the sacrifice, then so should you. And then you got this young guy saying, they have peanut butter here. Why not eat it? Right? And then he, he's hearing this from this other guy. You know, he, he's despising. Stop limiting me. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the whole unity of the team, according to the story, grows. Right? Over peanut butter. Let him, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. And then he gives the rationale at the very end of the verse. For God has received him. God has received him. You might say, wait a minute. Does that mean that the rules don't always apply equally to everyone? Yeah, in a sense it does. Now remember, we're not talking about the completely wrong issues. We're not talking about the completely right issues. We're talking about these disputable things. But does it say we must not judge others in disputable matters? Now in the other two, it, it is important. In fact, it goes on to say in verse, um, in verse uh, 4, who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. To go back to the, the illustration of parents, yeah, yeah one child might say, uh, say to the other, hey, it's 9 o'clock, you should go to bed. And the other one says, no, mom and dad, what are they doing? They're appealing to their higher authority. Mom and dad said I could stay up until 10. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. You know, we realize that if the authority, which is God, has allowed something for them, then let God be God. Let God take care of that. You might not agree with it, you might not like it, but if it's, if it's God's turn, who are you to judge another person on disputable matters? Does that make sense? And so we have to give each other some room if there's a dispute over over something, you have to give each other some room. Why? Because God is, has received it. If God is allowing it, then let's then let's let's work with that. Again, I want to be very careful here. I want to, this work. This, Paul Paul is teaching us one side of the coin in Romans 14. I want to make sure we understand the other side of the coin too, uh, because a lot of people are very confused when it comes to judging each other. Right? The Bible tells us not to judge each other. Just said so right here. The Bible also tells us to judge each other. Man, does the Bible have errors? No, it doesn't. The key is understanding the context. The context here, when he's saying not to judge, is in the context of what? Disputable matters. But are we to judge each other? Nicely judge each other on things that God has already judged as right or wrong? Yes. In fact, um, when, we, when we look at this, we see this section right here, and, and we're, we don't judge here. But what does that imply about the other two? Yeah, actually, both of those. 
The person does what is right. What did, what did Paul say? Give honor to whom honor is due. If, if a brother is doing something that is clearly wrong, what does the Bible say? Confront that person. Judge that person in a nice way, right? In love. Speak the truth in love, the Bible says. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, we read this. Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. So you think, here, you, at Corinthian church, in your spirit of love and acceptance, you have a man who's come in. He's, he's a brother. He's, he's a member, right? He's one of you. And he's involved in a type of morality that even the pagans look at and say, that's not right. And then he goes on to say, verse 2, and you are puffed up. You're proud of your acceptance. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. When has he done that? When he talked about it, and he talked about uh, morality in uh, uh, early in verse Corinthians, but he, uh, also in the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians, right? He talked about it around the he pointed to the scriptures. In fact, you go all the way back to Leviticus 18. Scriptures that they had for a long time. That very clear that this type of this kind of sin is wrong. So it's already been judged. And he's telling them, it's already been judged. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one as Satan as, uh, for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Is that strong language? It sure is. What is he saying? He is saying you need to judge sin as sin. Goes on later on in the chapter. Says, but I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Literally, it's anyone who calls himself a brother. In some translations, say anyone, any so-called brother. No, there's a person claiming to be a Christian. We don't judge. The, we don't judge the world. We only judge those who are brothers. Says any one of those who's a so-called brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, all these are what, what kind of issues are those? Those are black and white issues, aren't they? I think in these cases, don't even meet with that person. Don't pretend like things are good and so that they, they feel like their like their relationship with God is great. No, you need to let those people know that you are not right with God and not right with us. That's strong, I know. Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Is that Paul? Just these rhetorical questions telling us that we should judge those inside. Yeah, we don't judge the world. We judge those inside. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. That's why I just want us to understand when we look at the um, when we look at the, the spectrum, if it's a black and white issue, we call it we call it black, we call it white. Does that make sense? If, if it's clearly wrong, we then it is actually harming my brother if I don't confront him if he's got sin in his life. And I say the same thing for me. If, if you see sin in my life, correct me. Do you love me enough to correct me? I hope so. Because if I'm if I'm continuing in a path of sin, the sin tends to grow, doesn't it? Sin tends to expand, get worse, complicate, multiply itself. 
And so this is the issue, to come back to where we're at, is, is those, those disputable issues. And we don't have to, to judge in those issues. We don't have to, to despise people in those issues. But now we come back, and let's read verse 5. It gives a, it gives a great example here for us to understand. It says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Here he takes another issue that's going on. This was, this was a, one of those pet issues going on in the church, in the, the Roman church. Again, take, relating to what he said in verse 1. You've got the weak, you've got the strong, you've got some who are saying certain days are holier than others. You can imagine that as a Jewish person, you accept Jesus Christ. What's the holiest day on the Jewish calendar? What was it? Okay, the holiest day of the week is Saturday. I heard a lot of Sabbath days, Saturdays, exactly. On their yearly calendar, what is it? Yeah, you got the most, the highest one of all, it's, uh, in Hebrew they call it Yom Kippur, right? Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Why? Because this is the day where there's forgiveness of sins and, and they would sacrifice a lamb for the, for the sins of the people. And a person would, would accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and so... Yom Kippur is a day of, of a lot of significance, right? And so, uh, you know, they had all sorts of rules. They weren't allowed to take more than 200 steps. Now, this wasn't a rule by scripture. This was when they defined what work was. They weren't allowed to take more than 200 steps outside their house. And, and, uh, and the, the, liberal, the liberal Jews would sometimes create, they would actually paint the line in their neighborhood and say, you can do it in your neighborhood, but you have to go outside your neighborhood. We lived in a Jewish area, however. There were actually some lines being on sidewalks for that reason. So you have to count your steps and all these kinds of things. This is the history you come out of. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've got pagans who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and they've never celebrated Yom Kippur. And the day of Yom Kippur comes, and now you're celebrating, and, and you do everything the same as you've always done it with one exception. You don't sacrifice a lamb because that would be blasphemous, right? Instead, you focus on the one lamb who will sacrifice for your sins. Who is that? Jesus Christ. And then you have pagans who accepted Jesus Christ. They're coming in and they're working on that before. Can you imagine the issues that that would cause? And, and so you've got some, certain days are holier than others and then you have others who say, no, all days are equally holy, right? That's what, that's what the Bible said. That's what Jesus taught. And so you've got them saying, well, every day is a holy day. You've got the, these arguments, and then you got weak, and they throw out scripture out of context. And so they'll, they'll throw out Leviticus 23, the feast cycle. It says, hey, you need to be doing these. And, and, uh, and they'll, they'll talk about the Sabbath laws and Deuteronomy, different things. And, and, and then the, those who were stronger and understood stood how those apply in context, you know, well, they, they're, they're throwing out Mark 2, right? Where uh, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for you. You're not made for the Sabbath, right? And uh, we have Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Uh, we, we haven't doing things that he considered works. And so how can you call yourself a Christian if, you don't, if you're not willing to work on the Sabbath? See, what, see, see the battle that's going on in the church? And Paul's bringing this up and he's using this example. And, and what it all boils down to really is a misunderstanding of the relationship between the church and Israel. This is actually one of the deeper doctrines of theology, of ecclesiology, right? So... Who gets saved and understands the deeper doctrines of ecclesiology right away? Anyone? Some of you are looking at me and saying, what's ecclesiology right now? 
So, yeah, so here we're, we're, we're talking about people at very opposite ends of the spectrum in their, in their, in their, their spiritual maturity, and yet they're not responding to each other in an appropriate way. But do you see what's happening here? The weak are judging the strong. You should celebrate. I can't work. I'm not reporting the issue. And the strong are despising the weak. Stop telling me what I can and can't do. If I have to observe such such a thing, so should you. Don't tell me what to do. And you see that argument, that argument that the issues have changed over the centuries, but the human nature has not. Isn't that true? Human nature has not. You know what I think is really cool here? Paul has the answer that would have cleared up this debate. And he gives that answer in other portions of Scripture, not here. Why? It's not important. He could have come in and said, here's the relationship between Israel and the church. And here's how the church is supposed to obey the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. He read Galatians. He gives a great answer to that question. Paul has the answer to the question. And instead of going to that, he's like, that's not the issue. The issue is how you're treating each other because of this issue. That's more important. You see that? So what does this mean? Is this a moral free-for-all? I mean, that's what some people could say. Well, is, is this a moral free-for-all? But no. If you go back and look at what he said, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. But how does he finish that, that, that verse? Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. See, too many times uh, I think that, that we as Christians say, if it's a debatable issue, then yeah, I'm not going to study it out, and I can do whatever I want. Is that true? It's not true at all. If it's a debatable issue, I need to study it out. I need to put my time and energy into that. So I can be fully convinced. That word fully is a big word there. I need to be fully convinced what is right for me, what is best for me, what is going to help me. Right? So, yeah, it's not just a moral free-for-all. They're not talking about, uh, about that. Be convinced in your own mind. So it's not, yay, it's debatable. Right? It's... Okay, this is debatable. I better study. Uh, it's going to require study. We're going we're, we're to require self-awareness, soul searching, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, intellectual honesty. Right? Be convinced in your own mind, but don't judge or despise. It really boils down to any of disputable issues. There's two commands that we find here. You can boil it down to two things. Number one. Be convinced in your own mind. When it comes to debatable issues, study them out. You know, and, and, and there might be something that you've thought, oh, this is great. I don't mind doing this activity and I don't see anything in the scriptures. And then, and then someone else says, well, I don't do that. Well, then study it out. I know why. You know, pick their brains a little bit. Maybe there's some scriptures. Maybe what you think is a disputable issue isn't a disputable issue at all. Right? Have you ever had that happen? And you study it out and you're like, ooh, what I was doing was wrong. But it could be something that's disputable and you find it is not good for me in my place where I am spiritually right now. So, so study that. And number two, don't judge, don't despise. Because regardless of what the issues are, you're going to be on one of those two sides. You're going to be where it's a tendency to judge the other person for their freedom, or you're going to be despising someone for limiting yours. And sometimes you'll be on one side of that, sometimes you'll be on the other side. But when you catch yourself there, you say, that's an improper response to this issue. Does that make sense? 
a, it's a simple concept when we really put it down, but keep some humility. You may think you're right, but leave some space for debate if it's a debatable issue. If you can't argue from Scripture, then, then don't argue. And go back to the Scripture. Study Scripture. You see, some things may be right for somebody else, but they're wrong for you, where you are on the journey. And some things may be wrong for someone else, and they're completely right for you, where you are on the journey. There was a young man who accepted Christ, went to Bible college, he was in my, in my dorm. He had a history of alcohol abuse, strong history of alcohol abuse. For him, he would not be, he would not have in that time in his life even been able to go to a, to a store that serves alcohol, right? Just serving alcohol. I mean, I'm talking apathies. I'm not talking going to the bar. He couldn't do it. Why? The temptation was too strong. I mean, we had to hide the sequel call from him. Right? I'm not lying. This guy went after the worst mouthwash on it. Why? Because he's so weak. He was so deep in that sin that he had had that he carried and he was doing his faith. I doubt that he still struggles with some of the same struggles that now, but how do we treat him? Do we receive him? Do we, we work with him? Or do we just say, you can't go to Applebee's, oh brother. That's not receiving him, right? And so, um, be convinced in your own mind, but don't judge. Don't despise. This is not moral relativity, folks. This is the wrong is clearly wrong, and the right is clearly right. Depending on where you are in your faith journey, some things may be better for you to observe, and some things may be better for you to avoid. Right. Yeah. And so I, we ought not, it ought not bother us if someone disagrees on some of those things, if we're responding in love. Does that make sense? And so there might be someone who, who genuinely... Um, genuinely has a difference of opinion and they can't do or they don't allow something in life that I just love where they're at and we love each other. We can agree to disagree on a lot of those things and it won't affect our relationship. Amen? There was uh, a deacon's meeting that I was involved. This was a long time ago. Um, uh, Uh, Romans 14, uh, 6. And we see that there's a there's a, a spirit behind some of these thoughts. Look what it says in verse 6. He who observes the day, observes it to whom? To the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe. Think about that. Both of them are doing what, they, what they're doing in, with an attitude to please God. Whether they're observing the day or not, Talk about that in a moment. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat. And gives God thanks. Well, no matter which side of the argument you fall on, you see the problem with responding in judgment or in hatred. Right? Um, when I was part of this DFB a um, long time ago, it, Ironically, it started over the issue of, of, of women wearing pants. <laughs> you know, 
That was the, that was the issue back in those days. And it wasn't so much wearing it out there, but wearing it on stage. There had been a rule that said that women can't on stage. And someone complained because the choirs and the ladies in the choir wore pants underneath their choir robes. Well, can you get any more piddly than that? Right? That was, that was the argument. But it sparked an interesting conversation amongst the deacons as they were, they were just in the process of starting to get rid of some of those kinds of things. But, but it's part of, it's part of the conversation because one of the deacons was even saying, well, some of the other deacons, some of our own deacons here don't even know how to dress for church. And at first, we saw Romans 14 played out. You had the ones who came to church, you know, not, I don't want to say they weren't dressed nicely, but they didn't wear the jackets and ties, right? They stood up and they despised uh, they, they were, don't limit me. Don't tell me what I have to do. What I have to, I can worship God in, in, a, in a collar tie and nice jeans, right? That's what they were. And then you have this other guy who always wore a tie, always wore a jacket. I wouldn't surprise me if he put his grass in a tie and jacket. And he's saying, I have to come to church in a jacket and tie, and you get to come dressed like, like, like it's a Catholic. And, and so also, now you've got these accusations flying. And, and I heard words like legalist in there, thrown in there. I heard words like disrespecting the Lord. And, 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 uh, and so fortunately, my dad was leading the meeting. And, and, uh, and he said, wait, hold on, guys. We're not going to despise each other here. And we're, we're, we're not going to judge each other here. Let's take, let's take a little time. And he said, let's listen to James 1. It says, be quick to listen or slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Let's hear each other out on this issue. And, uh, and so I was panicking. I was young in the ministry. And I'm thinking, Dad, just give them the answers here. And, and Dad was a little more, he was wiser than, than I was at that. He's like letting them wrestle through this. And, uh, and so as they started talking about it, what he found is, is the guy who always wore the, tack, the, the tie and jacket, he was explaining his heart. His heart was that he would dress up with the purpose of, of showing respect. And that's why you go to a funeral and you dress up. You go to a wedding and so that's a glorious thing. You dress up. And so he's saying, we should be most dressed up when we come to church because, we're, we're, because our dress reflects our respect towards God and I want to die my respect for God and that's why I dress up. Now let me ask you, who can argue with that? How can you tell, no, you shouldn't dress up then. It's a sign of respect for God. But then he had the opportunity to listen to the other guy, and the other guy said, "No, I wasn't. Say, I didn't. Wasn't raised in church. I wasn't raised in those kinds of things. And when I and, and he had a pretty decent job, he had good money. Uh, he was a strong guy. He was a wrestler, and uh, and, uh, and so he said, he stood up and he said, when I dress up, by nature, I dress up to get attention. You see the difference." When I dress up, I used to get attention. That's why I always live my life. He says, but now I accept Jesus Christ. I want to be faithful to my one wife. I want to be faithful to what God has called me to do. And so when I come to church, the last thing I want is for people to say, ooh, you look nice today. He says, I struggle with that. And so I come dressed in the middle. You know, I just try to fit in. So that way people don't, don't look at me and either, you know, how can you argue with that? See, what happened is, is they put the arguments aside for a little while, and they started saying both of them were wanting to please whom? God. And so if I know that a person is pleasing God, then can I overlook some of those things? The problem is when we start judging, we start despising, we start throwing bombs at each other. 
right? When if we would put those things aside and just look at the heart, and what ended up happening is, is out of that deal, you had a group of men who started to learn to love each other. Real love. That's what Paul's getting at in Romans 14. You want to you know if you really love somebody? Show up when you disagree with them. That's real test of love. If you can disagree with a person, and when your tendency says to despise them because they're limiting you, you love them instead. Or when, when you're, you disagree with a person and your tendency is to judge them because they're doing something that you have and your conscience can't do, and you want to judge them, love them instead. That's the real test of love. Does that make sense? And, and that's what God has called. Now, this might seem a little difficult to do, but imagine, imagine an entire church where we live like that. And we spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Don't judge, don't despise. Why? Because God has called us to live in community as a family. Look at the picture that he puts in the last two verses of, of, uh, of this section. It says, for none of us lives to himself. And no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And so when we, when we look at, uh, at the, the last few verses of, of this text, we come to the understanding that God has called us, regardless of where we are in our faith journey, to live together in community. And when there's someone stronger than us and there's someone weaker than us, that's, gonna, that's bound to happen. And you know what? We need to receive each other in love. Be fully convinced in your own mind that don't judge and don't despise. It's as simple as that. What about you? First question. We've got three questions for us to think through. Number one, what evidence is there that you are living your life to God and not to yourself? living for God and not to yourself. Number two, what things are you permitting in your life that you are not convinced in your own mind will actually help you grow in your relationship with God? When you're saying it's fatal, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not going to search it out because it answers this. Right. Number three, do you despise or judge your fellow brothers in Christ over disputable matters? Are you letting debatable issues damage your relationships if so, then today is the day I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And really, there's two invitations today. One, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to do it, right? God can change you. And I would ask you to come forward, come talk to me, or you can go to the back when we have the invitation. And we have people there with a little lane that says, ask me. They will walk you through how you can know for sure you have eternal life. For those of you who are children of God, maybe you've been permitting some things in your life and the Lord's putting it in your heart. Maybe you've been judging or despising someone and the Lord's laying a person on your heart. Then I'm going to ask you to come forward too. And just pray right here. But I'm going to ask you not to come forward unless you are willing to say, I'm going to follow through with this throughout the week. This week, I'm going to make it right with somebody that I either judged or despised. Does that make sense? So I'm asking you, if you're serious about God, come forward. And say, Lord, I have mistreated a brother. I haven't shown love to a brother. You've convicted me using your word today. I'm going to make it right this week. And then follow through. Make sure you follow through with your commitments to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord.